0: Well, Rory, Joel, it's a new semester and we're back. Uh, how are you yes, guys? Yes,
1: we are. Cold, very cold.
0: Yeah, the weather took a turn for the worse over the last few days here in New York. But there's I, a reason
1: why Christ came somewhere that was, you
0: know, hot most of the time. So I guess there is, like Dubai, Texas, you know, all these good places. I don't know if Idaho is particularly warm. Talk
2: for yourself, person from Minnesota. From uh, is <laughs> dubious. Anyway, <laughs> okay. you're at least. Originating from Minnesota in the last, sure. Short what period. good comes from Minnesota? Yeah, that's been said before about other places. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay, well, we're back uh, for a new semester of the uh, this podcast, which incidentally is going by a new name now. We uh, have t- we've rebranded a little bit from the Good Fight to. Behold the lion! Roar. You guys didn't hear it. You guys didn't hear it, but anyone listening should, unless plans change. There was a very majestic lion roar playing just before. Wow! Just before we started mm-hmm. talking. So, like, like with Mayor, like that sort of Metro Goldwyn Mayor. Oh yeah, yeah that's yeah. sorry, that's the name. Right, not quite. I mean, hopefully it's not the same line. Maybe, maybe he does voice acting. Okay, <laughs> but um, <laughs> we're here now. Just before the winter break started, we, you know, we left for Christmas. Now we're back. Just before Christmas break, what? We had talked about, we ended a bit on a somber note, well, prior to our Christmas episode, that is, um, with Christ dying and uh, being buried. And um, we had some discussion of the descent into um, to the dead, descent into hell, Hades, whatever um, you want to call it. But now we're getting back to the creed. And what we'll be talking about is the resurrection. We'll, that'll be on our minds come Easter time. But uh, it's always a good topic to talk about. The specific lines we're looking at are He, well, Christ, and He rose again on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. And so for this week and the next, we'll be discussing the import of those two lines the resurrection of Christ uh, on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. What do we mean by Scriptures? We can get into all of that. But for today, let's focus on the resurrection. Okay, I'll toss the ball to you guys. What is the resurrection? What do we mean when we talk about it?
2: So when we're talking about the resurrection, we're talking about um, how Christ died, was buried, and then came back from the dead. Um, that he, yeah. Yes, so that he um, was victorious over death and that um, he rose, again, incorruptible. So this idea of um death um well yeah that's just the part in the gospels that we see in the gospel narratives of christ returning from death having been victorious having accomplished his um, sacrificial work on the cross and then ready to ascend to the right hand of the father to be glorified so it's just a very it's just a central central aspect in many ways um like you can't separate the cross and the resurrection as a centerpiece of the Christian gospel, where often, like, you'll see some Christian traditions focus more on one versus the other. Often, the Western church really focuses on the cross a lot, which I think we ought to focus on the cross. But, and then sometimes, like, to a degree, though, that people think, oh, why, like, why did he resurrect? But, the importance of the resurrection is like the actual completion of his victory. Okay.
0: To clarify a few few points here, and not to sound irreverent, but when we talk about return from the dead, I mean, in the popular imagination, there's a lot of versions of that where, you know, people come back and it's not necessarily a pleasant thing. No, it's not. Right. So, So what's different here? What do we mean when we talk about Christ's resurrection as opposed to returning as something less than you once were?
1: Yeah, it's interesting to compare uh, Christ's resurrection to ideas, you know, currently, right, about what what rising from the dead might look like. You know, AMC's Walking Dead has now returned for its final season. So for any of you uh, Walking Dead fans, you know, that's not really what we're thinking about. Um, um, Or, you know, classic Frankenstein or or something like that or mummy or or whatnot. You know, there's a whole host of uh, weird ways in which people have imagined uh, uh, coming back from the dead. Um, But also, it's interesting to note that that's not really a uniquely modern thing, right? If you look at, even in Christ's time, there are a few different theories about resurrection and how that might come about, right? Coming from different uh, Jewish groups, right? So the Sadducees, for example, denied Mm -hmm. that there would ever be a resurrection. Uh, The Sadducees were... uh, One of the sects of uh, the Jewish
2: groups in... Uh, in Israel at Jesus' time. Specifically the ones that mostly controlled the high priesthood and collaborated with the Roman authorities. Right. And they right. also generally denied a lot of the prophets. They recognized the Torah alone, and they also uh, were not... They didn't believe in angels and demons. So they, enge- they were kind of like the theological liberals of their day, deny, denying yeah. all this spiritual stuff.
1: Yeah, they really, um, they really believed that with the death of the body, the rest of the soul, everything just decays at once, which was in contradiction to the Pharisees, right? You know, we all know the Pharisees always talked about uh, uh, by Christ in the gospel's name dropped all over the place, uh, but they believed that at the end of, of time, there'd be a resurrection of all of the righteous souls, right? You see this even at um, the de- passages like the death of Lazarus. Mm-hmm. Right, where um, um, Lazarus's sister, right, says, uh, "Lord, I believe that you know all the all all the souls will be resurrected at the end of time." Right, um, when Christ asks her uh, uh, about Lazarus, mm-hmm. um, so so there's a few different ideas, right? Um, but it's interesting to note that Christ's resurrection is different even from the uh resuscitation i guess might be a better word of of lazarus that's a very important and the young girl right uh jairus's daughter right in both those cases they return in a sense to the ordinary way of life the ordinary living they continue you know being a daughter or, or being lazarus right but when christ returns from the dead it's sort of something much more profound, which you see in all the Gospels when all the, you know, disciples are so puzzled, confused by his appearance. Uh, um, um, and he seems to be in, in multiple p- places, He you know, walks through locked doors, right? Um, all sorts of, you know, fun little stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but... It's also interesting because there's a real material element, right? He's not some disembodied spirit. He breaks bread. He you know breaks bread with the disciples, and on the road to Emmaus, he eats, right? He you know uh, Thomas is able to put his fingers in Christ's wounds, right? Very important. Um, so what you might say is that what the Pharisees thought would happen to all souls at the end of time in the person of Christ happened
2: immediately, or, or yeah. maybe three days and after. Yes, and you see this across the different Abrahamic traditions as well, where Islam affirms the final resurrection of the dead and the final judgment. Judaism, Orthodox Judaism recognizes the resurrection of the dead. And what the New Testament tells us is that Christ is the first fruits mm-hmm. of that. And that it, like you said, it's not just a resuscitation of like, oh, the soul returns to this body of someone who passed away as much as the the final revealing of like the inc- the incorruptible like the res- restoration of human nature to something that is beyond death. So something that is very it's a little hard to talk about because it's beyond what we even know will like it's it's not really super clearly explained, but it's the promise that's given throughout the scriptures of a a final restoration. Great. Yeah, you guys have all touched
0: on some really important points, uh, and I'd like to dig more into that. We've talked about, okay, this resurrection is different from common ideas about resuscitation, you know, the undead, standard things <laughs> like that. Uh, it's it's He came back. He was himself, but he was more than himself in a way, or than he had been before in terms of his body. It wasn't a less than, it was a more than uh, it wasn't a uh, an escape from death so much as a defeat of death. He was a yes. first fruits of an ultimate uh, resurrection at the end of time. Okay, so we've got a lot of those things going. I'd like to, us to talk a little bit more about that descriptively. What is the nature of the resurrection as we see it in the Gospels? And you guys have touched on it. Jesus appears to people. Um, he appears to... The disciples, he appears to Mary. Uh, which Mary was it in in the garden? I, uh, Magdalene, I yeah. believe, Yeah, Mary Magdalene in the uh, in the garden of his tomb. He appears to the disciples. The two disciples walking on the road to Emmaus. Uh, what else? He's bodily.
2: You've talked about that. Any any thoughts on that? Well, also, doesn't is it Paul who refer, or is it in Acts that it's referenced that he appeared to five hundred other souls? so it's not even it's broader than just the close circle of disciples of people who are witnesses of his resurrection um, regarding um the nature of it being bodily um I think that's at least for me that's one of the most mysterious aspects of it, especially when you look at how Paul talks about the resurrection in corinthians where um when he says in chapter 15, verse 42, um, so it is with the resurrection of the dead, what is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. Um, Or then going a little farther down, the first man was from earth, a man of dust. The second is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust, and as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man in heaven. And I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I will tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. And then uh, he sings that there's the gets to almost exultant. Right. Song of death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. and The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. So I, as far as the nature of the physicality of it, I, this is something I've been meditating on and thinking of how there's still like. He is still raised with a physical body, yet imperishable, yet incorruptible, yet even spiritual in a sense, where, as Paul discusses, yet it is a glimpse of the future glory to come that is wholly other from what we can currently see around us. It's it's very interesting. It can be the subject of a lot of you know fun little
1: questions, Absolutely. right? Is, is there food in heaven? Like you know, Christ eats bread. Um, do you have to use the bathroom? Like, it's just all sorts of fun questions. Um, but but it's really interesting, right? To notice that unique Christian element of the importance that the material body plays, right? This was also a strain of what the resurrection might be like in, you know, classical Greek thought, right? You know, as a classics major, feel free to weigh in here, oh, you know, yeah, with your yeah. specialties. But um, roughly, as I understand it, right, the importance of the soul and then becoming free from the body in a lot of ways, right? Casting aside um, the uh, the lower, right, uh, 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 form, right? And, and just stressing the soul above all. But in Christianity, it's like markedly different, right? There is, uh, there is no real... Ultimate separation of the soul and body, rather, it's an ultimate unification. And nowhere is it clearer is this clearer than in the resurrection of Christ. Absolutely, right? his 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 physical ca- characteristics are mentioned time and time again as so mm-hmm. important. Uh, he's not some ghost, um, but at the same time, there's so much raised upon raised beyond what was you know beforehand the case right he's not necessarily limited by his physical body Mm -hmm. in perhaps ways that he was before right in in the past you would see uh, passages in the gospels where he gets tired and surrounded and you know takes a boat to leave from the shore or goes on his own but now he's you know disappearing Mm -hmm. and appearing at will uh, um catering to so many at the same time appearing to 500 that we don't even you know necessarily hear the specifics of right Mm -hmm. um and so, no, you know, no one should be mistaken that, that Christianity hates the body yes. by, any, by
2: any stretch of the imagination. And we referenced the, the, the phantom of the Gnostics, yeah. that, often the boogeyman in Christian conversations where there's still um, where Paul in his discussion and then the gospel accounts and their portrayal. There, yes, there is this vision of the redemption of the physical yet there's still there still seems to be a recognition especially in that passage in Corinthians that the way things are is not what they shall be mm-hmm. and that there is there is a fundamental brokenness that as P- paul writes in Romans that creation groans for the resurrection and that it's ref- so the res- the resurrection of christ far from being a resuscitation is the very beginning, the linchpin that will lead to the restoration of all things. Right. The the start of a new creation, of a new Mm -hmm. humanity is
0: not too much uh, of a strong um, way of putting what Paul is saying here. New humanity, first fruits, you know, there's something dramatic happening here. And so it's pretty obvious, I suppose, from some of the things we've said already, but if you were to give a succinct answer to the question, why does the resurrection matter? How would you respond? Christians affirm that this thing happened. People have affirmed strange things happened throughout history, but this one in particular, to build an entire faith around it, if, if indeed we do,
2: do we? Uh, why does it matter? Paul definitely does. <laughs> he, he makes it very clear that if the dead are not raised... Then we are most to be pitied, and he recognizes that the Christian message is a message that centers around this promise and uh, something that is not super not super clear but still very much existing within the Old Testament and so this promise of the resurrection that um as the psalm that is referenced, that he shall not let his holy one see corruption. And how, um, as Job says, in my flesh, I shall see God, that there is this, like, prior to the final um, coming of Christ, in the Jewish people, this hunger, and looking forward to a very unclear, but still present hope of the restoration of all things and the uh the resurrection of the dead where there will be final reconciliation that final justice will be dealt and that's why i think the resurrect the final resurrection is so tied with judgment day and you can see this outside of christianity too like if you look read the quran mm-hmm. it's just like the resurrection and judgment day are the things that are constantly paired together that there's even there there's like i i think the quran has a very very limited understanding of what that's supposed to be um, as a christian but there's still that understanding of um the resurrection is that promise Mm -hmm. of the final reconciliation the final deliverance of justice
0: right i really like that point uh because I opened this and somewhat jokingly referencing popular conceptions of, you know, stories of return from the dead. You know, your standard ghost story, whatnot. But something that struck me is that across cultures, these stories of return from the dead always operate on the premise that there is some sort of unfinished business. When mm-hmm. we die, we leave loose threads there's behind. There's something still happening. Something still a something's still happening, but b you know, there's this sense of, you know, when I die, and you know, there's an injustice that's been done. Something's been done. There's this sense that, you know, there's unfinished business that needs to be tended to. And the Christian response is that that is tended to, but it's like almost an expression of faith in the God who, you know, will, um, will be the final just judge and will, you know, reward. You know, it seems a basic problem, I guess, what I'm saying throughout the Old Testament in particular is why do the wicked prosper? Mm-hmm. Why would the um why would the righteous suffer in this life and even die in that suffering? Uh yeah, even die. But still the, the
2: ultimate promise of justice that mm-hmm. God is will not um will protect the righteous and will punish the wicked. Right.
0: And the resurrection is the ultimate fulfillment of that.
1: In the resurrection is so crucial, right? You know you mentioned paul right paul puts it just extremely bluntly in in first corinthians chapter 15 um verse 17 right and if christ has not been raised your faith is futile and you are still in your sins right yeah. like i mean that, that, that's pretty blunt right no, like, this the, is all nonsense right if- the resurrection is like the fulcrum of, of the christian faith in a lot of ways um why is that well uh because if christ didn't rise If Christ wasn't the first fruit of this new resurrected life, right, then his claims to be, you know, speaking and acting in the person of God would be invalidated. And if that's invalidated, then the Trinity as a concept doesn't really make a whole lot of sense if Christ isn't acting in the person of God. Without the Trinity, you don't have the Holy Spirit and all speech about the Holy Spirit is really, you know, uh, non... Uh, not really useful or pertinent or accurate, right? With no Holy Spirit, there's no, uh, there's no church, there's no sacraments, there's no scriptures, right? But everything, everything that we've mentioned up to this point in this in the creed and everything that will follow is
2: kind of almost entirely overturned on its head. Mm-hmm. And you see this also in just the, the proclamation of the gospel in the Book of Acts. How it's the proclamation of the death and resurrection. And the lordship of Christ is flows out of that, where um, in Acts chapter two, with the coming of the Holy Spirit and Pentecost, he um, Peter stand. Um, stands up in Solomon's portico and says, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. And then goes on to reference the... um, the promises of the prophets in regards to the Messiah and how this actually is a part of God's plan for his Messiah, um, to ultimately redeem his people that he's not just offering redemption from certain woes of like, Oh, we'll have an earthly kingdom, but from the very fundamental woes that have beset all of humanity in sin. And then Paul also, when he's on trial before the Sanhedrin, when he's on trial, um, and later in the book of Acts, he says, "I am on trial for the resurrection of the dead, that this is the thing that I am holding to, which is the faith faith of my fathers, the faith of um like that Christ is the fulfillment of the promises that God has given israel right so I mean Christianity, in terms of symbolic imagery
0: around the world is Known as the religion of the cross, but you know very much so it is the religion of the empty tomb. I guess an empty tomb is just hard to make a representation of. It yeah,
2: I've <laughs> seen representations. Sometimes it looks a little lame. Like yeah. it's like, what exactly is this? Right, like right. A it's, it's, or... Yeah, it's hard to represent. It's hard to the, the cross works, but easier as a symbol. Can draw it on the
1: sand? Like it take a lot more. <laughs>
0: I think I think Protestants tried to get around it and indulge their kind iconoclastic of tendencies by using an empty cross more often than <laughs> a... <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah. Then we can have like the best of both worlds. Yeah. Right, right. He mm-hmm. didn't stay on it. Is is the point? But yeah. So the resurrection clearly does matter. But I guess my question then is: when we look at history, when we look at our lives, does it does it matter? I mean, here's my here's my thought process. If someone I knew, a relative, someone um, died and then came back, I would not be able to stop talking about right uh, when you're spreading the faith. But
1: Christianity was known even by its earliest um, Jewish skeptics as the 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 religion of the resurrection, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and that was one big, marked difference, a unique quality that was you know both uh, very extremely helpful in separating it but also sometimes, you know, served as an, as an obstacle. Right. But, um, you know, uh, that, that helps the church in a lot of ways from, uh, uh, you know, we, we could have this over, you know, theological, uh, metaphorical reading of it, right. That some people like to do, right. Where they say, Oh, the resurrected Jesus is really the spirit of Christ. You know, talking to the apostles about how they should continue forgiving and serving the poor and and like that. You know, it requires a lot of of re, you know exegesis and reading into the text going on there that isn't really um, part of it. But but maintaining this real concrete hope is so important and helps um, you know separate the Christian faith from you know just another philosophy spirituality right that uh there was this person you know concrete and 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 when he resurrected it wasn't a mere resu- resuscitation as you know you, you mentioned in your like fake story right but you know he starts like you know moving in and out and and, and, and typifying this new kind of glorified life uh
0: mm-hmm.
1: right yeah and 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 how important that that serves uh, for the early church, right? In, in attracting so many believers and spreading news about the resurrection, right? Paul won't deny it. None of the apostles deny it, um, and are so adamant, in fact, that Christ resurrected from the dead. They're all put to death for it, right? You could hardly imagine someone who was like, "Well, it was it was a metaphor for the spirit of Christ being put to death, or or willing to die to death <laughs> right. to to not deny it."
2: Right? Yeah, I I think just in my own Christian walk even even just fairly recently meditating on the nature of the resurrection i've grown to have more and more appreciation of just how momentous it is um, in the actual narrative of the scriptures and how there are layers to the the type of redemption the type of promise that christ brings um, in through the through the resurrection that there's It really is of ultimate cosmic proportions, while at the same time providing a deeply just rich framework for viewing the Christian life, and even just the spread of the gospel, where I've heard it said that one of the biggest testimonies to the the resurrection of Christ is that there are still resurrections happening every day, where people are completely transformed out of the darkness of their own hearts and sin, and turning to Christ and find joy and peace through repentance and trust in him. And that, that's the sort of thing where it happens in us like, so, like, not it's not always dramatic in every life, but I think that's one of the things that I find very powerful about some of the testimonies that I have heard of people um, being saved and putting their their faith in Christ, of the, the sort of the resurrection power of Christ through the Holy Spirit that still works in the church and in a way that you don't see anywhere, anywhere else, it's one of a kind. It's not just sort of like enlightenment from meditation or some sort of ecstatic experience you get from some sort of um, beating yourself over the head with a rock for long enough. Like that's I'm using that as a metaphor for some of the like ascetic practices you can find in like certain mystical religions where it's not. It's the sort of power that works in everyday lives of people from every background who turn to Christ and they can participate in that. And then they can, in the foretaste of that, and then looking to the first fruits of the resurrection that Christ is, then have hope for their eternal destiny. Yeah. Uh, C.S. Lewis in
0: Mere Christianity compares the magnitude of the change to you know, statues in a workshop coming alive. Oh, yeah, I love Um, this analogy. It's, it's, yeah, it's not just I suddenly have access to new cognitive faculties or I turned over a new leaf, but uh, it's this radical transformation of one's affections, uh, you know, the Mm -hmm. direction of one's life altogether. I guess to clarify my question, too, when I asked why don't we talk about it more, I'm sure we talk about it plenty in Christian circles, but I just mean... An event of this magnitude, you know, you'd think even in the academic discourse at a place like Columbia, as we talk about scholarly problems, as we talk about what we might call real world problems, practical problems, say in economics, whatever, you know, the fact that Christ died and came back from the dead should make a difference there. too. I mean, it's not like, you know, you might be accused of being like a medieval guy who places all his hope in the afterlife. So he doesn't need to do anything here. But that's not what I'm saying. I think, there to make that claim that Christ rose from the dead that that is the first fruits of a change that happened is happening and will come to full fruition i just think
2: that uh, that is a call to you know a completely new way of a completely christocentric way of viewing the world and analyzing things where it's um i i think it's very easy for people to yeah sign the dotted lines they'll say the they'll say the creed in church they even believe it but they don't really internalize how big that is they might even have had that true like reconciliation of god and they're growing in it without fully processing just what this the the impact the import of this sort of claim Mm -hmm. yeah and as a side note
0: uh, it's not going to be the focus of our conversation but to those to anyone listening who might think you know it's almost ludicrous to bring up the resurrection within you know 100 feet of a scholarly conversation actually <laughs> there there is a very strong body of historical scholarship to make the argument that of all the of all the other hypotheses out there to explain what happened um after the crucifixion of Christ, which is certainly well attested, Mm -hmm. the actual resurrection of Christ as reported in the gospels um, and by the early Christians is in fact the strongest one because you have a fair amount of secular scholars who end up kind of backed into a corner and having to say, well, I know the disciples believed that this happened. It certainly wasn't something they were making up, etc." Christ died, probably the tomb was empty, but that that just kind of begs the question of um, whether they're going to fall back on the hypothesis of a mass delusion on a scale and across time and across different groups of people that has never been seen before or since, um, or whether they're going to consider the testimony of the early church and of the church ever since then. And it's not so much bringing up the, you know, uh,
1: Jesus died and resurrected in your macroeconomics class. That's yeah. interesting. But so, it's more... <laughs> <laughs> right, well. What? Like, how can you say this <laughs> about supply and demand? Right, you... yeah. There's an infinite supply of infinite bread, right? No, no worries, guys. <laughs> no, I mean, like... But, but at, at the very least, right, the focus on the heavenly life and the resurrection should be the basis for so many decisions, right? So many times we... Have our minds focused on this world, right? On on focusing on the problems, perceived problems of this world, right? You know, feeding the poor, right? You know, not not that feeding the poor is a bad thing no. by any stretch of the imagination, but sometimes we run at it doesn't, you know, uh, the there is no such thing as costs, right? You you know you, don't sac- you can sacrifice any and all things for the current state of the world, right, to solve temporary ills, right, but rather. Um, and I think Lewis talks about this also. Those who set their minds on the eternal life, right, and 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 achieving that, maintaining that, and spreading it to those around them, have the best and greatest effect on the current world that they live in, right? It's not so much um, uh, a folk, you know, constantly bringing up the resurrection, but at least constantly reminding ourselves and acting as though we believe in an eternal life, right? And not constantly focusing on the 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 current physical circumstances of our temporary existence on this earth, right? Even though what we do definitely matters, of course, but it matters insofar as it allows us to participate in this new resurrected life of which Christ is the first
0: fruits. Right, right. And I really like that point. My my point in bringing this up was not to say that our answer to every question should be that Jesus right, died yeah. and was re- resurrected from the dead, like um, if you're you know um, answering questions in class or something like that. But uh, my point is that an event of this magnitude should, yeah radically change the direction of our thoughts, the way we live, that uh, yeah, if we say we believe it too, eh, even if we do have a chance to bring it up in some sort of historical discussion or whatnot. Um, it kind of undermines our credibility if we don't live like we think that actually happened. And so my my final question would be, how does the resurrection, you know, play a part in our individual lives now? And you can answer that from personal experience, from scriptures that are relevant to it. But what difference does the resurrection
2: make for me now? Well, we can look at, the resurrection has its significance for us now in context of the entirety of Christ's life and the context of all salvation history which we are a part so the resurrection is the vic- is victory over death which we will then participate in through Christ ultimately but also and i was talking about this already about the way that certain things in our life are to imitate and even foreshadow that final hope that we have as to die um dying to sin and living to god or um like basically just the entirety of our lives ought to be modeled off christ's life and his his time on earth his suffering death burial and resurrection and um it's to ask, Oh, what, what sort of practical import does that have is it's almost hard to know where to start because it's the, when you're talking about the very heart of the Christian faith of Christ's death, burial and resurrection and his, um, deliverance, how he delivers us from sin and death and gives us eternal hope. That's going to fundamentally transform every day of your life. If you look to that in actual faith. Yeah, it's, it's with the language the New Testament talks about it, you know, new birth. Imagine going up
0: to someone and saying, at some point you were born, how did this affect your life? Yes. You know, it's <laughs> like, yeah, it that's, that's the, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's the like, magnitude. Uh, uh, <laughs> I guess it was pretty impactful in my right. life yeah. Yeah, I was born. Right, right. I remember
1: we were um, at the Catholic Center last year, and we had an interesting proposal where someone phrased a hypothetical, right? If you could know, if, you know, for certainty, right? You could know everything that you know now, right? God is real, all that, you know, nice stuff, scripture, Christ, trinity, all that. But you knew that heaven or that the resurrected life didn't exist, right? Like how might that change your perspective, right? And uh, very quickly, we got a large contingent of people who were like, yeah, I'd become a hedonistic, right? Like a pleasure seeker, right? And, and Paul mentions this, right? He says, um... If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die, right? If if all we have is this life, you know, with all its uh, suffering and unfortunateness, right, um, it, it becomes very easy to get very pessimistic and, and hedonistic, right? And and to realize how big of a, of a difference it makes, right, that there is a real, you know— resurrection, right? And not to say that the people who are like, oh, I become hedonistic would have like abandoned their belief of God because, you know, he didn't reward them in some way for their for their goodness. But but more so it wasn't I it wouldn't be, you know it it wouldn't feel right, right? It, it wouldn't be personally convincing or the resurrection just makes it was more so to stress the huge difference that the resurrected life makes, right? This uh hope to participate in the one, you know, true loving union and to be united to Christ and and in, in the Trinity in that way is so important, right? And and is, is should be at the forefront of our minds, right? As it may have been for that contingent, which I may or may not have been a member of. So Maybe I'm <laughs> patting myself I, on the back I, a
2: little too much here. I remember. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Remember were learning there, about right? this conversation. Yeah. I wasn't. I wasn't there when this conversation right. started, but I <laughs> was kind of confused. Like, yeah. Wait, what? What's this? Yeah. It's it such a. It's such
1: an insane hypothetical. But you know, all that aside, to, to to point out the fact that the resurrection, you know, can, should, and, and does make a difference in, in how we so, act, right? Yeah. And and especially how we treat suffering in this life, right? Because we can look at suffering, right, as a, as a you know, sometimes as a test, right? Or like uh, like real opportunities for difficulty. But the way in which, you know, the real Christian attitude towards suffering ought to be an occasion for joy, right? This is an opportunity. Count it all joy when you meet various trials. Right, exactly, right. Right. Um, when I, when I embrace this suffering, the suffering is an opportunity for me to grow closer in sharing in Christ, especially one day in the resurrected life by these sufferings, right. I can, I can attain that, that everlasting love. And this too is why the body plays an important part in the resurrected life. Right. Um, I forget which saint it was, but, but some saint was talking about how, uh, uh, um, how our soul in, in heaven longs for the body by which it endured sufferings to achieve heaven and until then does not feel complete, right? It's sort of like a mystical language way of talking about how important the eventual unification is, right? It's like nice little poetry. Um, but yeah, it's just,
0: it's it should be a huge motivator uh, in all that we do. That's really good. I think, yeah, to put it another way, the resurrection, the hope of it, which received, you know, its first confirmation, its first fruits in Christ's resurrection, is the fuel for our Christian life, because otherwise, why would we not store, why would we store up treasures in earth rather than, uh, treasures on heaven, in heaven rather than treasures on earth, as Christ calls us to do? Why would we turn the other cheek? Um, And, right, it would seem senseless almost, because if that was all we had, and all the all the things we go after now are all there is, mm. then why not go after these good things now because they 're not all bad things mm-hmm. and so mm-hmm. uh, uh, and to I think what really drives that point home, Rory is that passage you were reading to us earlier from. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15, which ends with Paul's exultant, you know, quotation from Isaiah. Uh, He says, The sting of death is sin, the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Then immediately, therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Your labor is not in vain. And right after that, he goes into talking about the logistics of giving offerings at church. So... (laughs) When you think about, but the weight of that statement, your labor is not in vain. That's like, that's almost the anti-Ecclesiastes right there, or the answer to Ecclesiastes, which says, "Look at life. The righteous and the wicked both die. It seems like it's all in vain." But this, this, this promise that it is not in vain. I think that is the promise of the resurrection that, you know, makes a radical difference in in how we ought to go about our daily existence.
2: Yeah, and. I think it's also important to tie it when we tie it into the the crucifixion, the suffering of Christ and our justification before God through um, through Christ and his grace it, it's the the hope of the resurrection is a hope for those in Christ mm-hmm. the Christ and the glory that that his resurrection was, and then the restoration of all things that is the promise that he is the first fruits of, that is something that is a joyful thing to wait wait on when there's assurance, um, when there's assurance of salvation in Christ. Otherwise, there is fearful expectation of judgment, of that final day standing before God, when you you will inevitably fall short of of righteousness, as a sinner who is just fundamentally broken and has a will that goes against God. And so that that final resurrection is not just a happy clappy, like, yay, like everything's just going to be made right. Um, and it's just like, it's in Christ that's a hope. It's in Christ alone that we can look to that an eager expectation and joy, and then sp- And that's why we can, actually, we ought to be driven to really seek to share that hope with others. Where, for whom, that resurrection would not be a hope, if if that day came, tomorrow, it would not be a hope and a joy, for those who are not, who have not turned in faith to our Lord. Right.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. And if, I mean, as we end. Yeah, to anyone who's listening to this and you know doesn't know what to make of the resurrection, uh, if it's on you know just the difficulty of believing that historically speaking someone came back from the dead, I mean, I think I think we probably all resonate with that. It's not a claim that should be accepted lightly. But again, I would point to to the many resources that exist on this mm-hmm. point. There's uh, Gary
2: Habermas. You said Gary. Yeah, I've. I was planning, actually, and trying to dig into some of his materials myself, because I've, I know Gary Hibermas has done a lot of stuff on the historicity of the resurrection. And it's the sort of thing with the sort of import. Like, if this is true, then everything in your life ought to revolve around this. If it is false, it is laughable and must be rejected. That I think this is what Lewis, we've been bringing him up a lot. This podcast said, like, Christianity is either of infinite importance or of none at all. And the thing that it is not is something of just moderate importance that, like, you kind of ought to check out. But like, if, if this, this is the sort of thing that is life transforming, and I know it has transformed many lives and people ought to be honestly seeking to know about it and listen to those who have thought about it deeply. Right. So Gary Habermas is there. I know Tim
0: Keller covers some of the uh, basic arguments in his book, The Reason for God. And there's uh, other, other work out there, Josh McDowell, Evidence That Demands a Verdict, kind of collections of sources and arguments in favor of the resurrection. It's worth considering. It is not something that should be ignored if you're listening. And that's not the main issue, the arguments in favor of the historical resurrection, but more the sense of even if it happened, why should I believe it? Hopefully, this podcast has given you something to think about. Uh, a point the scriptures frequently make is the freedom that the resurrection gives us. Hebrews talks about people living all their lives enslaved to the fear of death, and the resurrection historically has shown to free people. has been shown to free people from that fear. That's the testimony of the early church over and over. Christians are not afraid of death the way other people are. They don't think they have everything right here in this world. And to Christians listening who might be flagging in their faith, the resurrection gives us gives us hope that our work is not in vain, that we can keep doing what we are doing, stay faithful, even if we don't see the rewards immediately, because as we have been crucified with Christ, it is him who lives in us, and we will rise again with him, so our work is not in vain. Amen. Yeah, shall we, shall we close there?
1: Um, yeah, I, I feel like I should have a closing statement, because you know, each of you guys had a turn. But uh, you know, I, I don't really have anything to add other than what you guys so wonderfully and succinctly put. So, uh, viva Cristo Rey! Yeah. You
0: know. Yeah, sounds good. <laughs> Great. Uh, thanks for tuning in today to behold the lion as we continue on our series through the Nicene Creed. Uh, we'll be we'll be back next week. Thanks for having us. Thank you.